He was from Lystra, and Paul was used of God to bring Timothy to salvation. And uh, Timothy then became an understudy of Paul, um, you could say a helper of Paul, the right-hand man of Paul. But um, he was uh, instrumental in... In many, many works, God sent him to, to visit many of the works throughout um, the areas that Paul had traveled to. But in these letters that Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus. And um, we talked some about that when we looked at, at the book of Ephesians. But... Um, First and Second Timothy then were written by Paul to young Timothy, a young man, probably we can only speculate, but they say he was probably in his early twenties and um, and he wrote to him and really giving him instructions about about pastoring when when I started pastoring and I began to understand that this was Paul writing to a young man, Timothy, in his early 20s, I thought, I mean, I'm not the brightest light or the sharpest tool in the tool shed, but I thought it it would probably do me well to really dive into Timothy if Paul wrote it to a young man pastoring I'm a young man pastoring. I was a young man pastoring, all right? Um, and so I really did. I got in, and First and Second Timothy are, and I've said this already as we've gone through books, they are one of my favorite books. They are two of my favorite books. One of my favorite books, how can one be two, right? I'm not very good at grammar either, John, so there you have it, all right? But, um, and they ministered to my heart in an amazing way, and, and really, um, I, I look, they were foundational for, for all that, that, um, regarding personal life and ministry that were laid down and it is one of the best things that that I ever did in in really diving into first and second Timothy. So in it you find explicit and complete instructions for church leadership and organization, the most complete instruction of the entire Bible. It includes um Advice on worship and qualifications of elders and deacons and and other matters that deal with the church and taking care of widows and and using um, what God has given you and so on. So that was part of the purpose why he wrote First and Second Timothy, but also at this time that this was written, the Christians were undergoing severe persecution. In history, Rome burned in 64 A.D., and Nero 
blame the Christians for the burning of Rome. See, there was fake news long before ABC, NBC, and CBS came around, all right? So they blame the Christians for burning Rome, which was totally false, but that that gathered steam and and people ran with it. So it was very, very hard for a Christian um, because the world naturally hates believers, but this magnified it. It was a time of great persecution. There were many that had been followers of Jesus that that toned it down and and drew back some and thought, I, I don't want to identify with this. Uh, I may lose my job. Um, they may come after me. And so Paul is writing Timothy, and you'll note in this, he often he'll say, I charge you, I exhort you. He's giving instruction. He wants, he wants Timothy to stay strong in, in the midst of uh, difficult times. And, and to not hide it under a bushel, as the little song says, but, but to stay strong. And, and he had written in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said, God has designed the church to be the pillar and ground of truth. He says, it is imperative that you you stand for truth and and continue to represent that and proclaim God's truth regardless of the cost. But if you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 12 and down and read down through verse 5 of chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you will judge, whom will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So you read here exhortation that Paul's giving to Timothy. 
And, and it really comes down, he says, you know, anticipate persecution. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And he says in verse 16, reminding him of the basis of our faith, the purpose of our faith. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. And so he comes down and he says, I want you to make sure that you do this. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Use the word of God to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. Now, if we don't have a foundation of the Word of God in our life, if we don't have a commitment to the truths of God's Word, it doesn't matter, First and Second Timothy, or anything else. It's imperative that we understand God's Word and realize that, number one, it is God's Word. It's not man's idea. No Scripture... Peter tells us, is of any private ambition or interpretation or someone just said, oh, I think I'll write this down. This is, this is God's word. It's, it's God breathed is literally what it means in verse 16. All scripture is God breathed, given by inspiration. It is God that recorded this. It's not something we can argue with. It's not something we can say, I don't agree with. We can say that, but it doesn't change the fact. This is what God said. God is perfect in all his ways. This is God's word. It's not up for debate. It's not up for um, critical thinking to, to work through it and all of that. It is, it is God's mind concerning everything. Whatever the Bible says about itself, about man, about God, about life, about death, about history, about science, and every other subject, whatever it says, is true. It is not, quote-unquote, a history book, but every aspect of history that it gives is true. It is not a science book. But everything it speaks about science is absolutely true. You need never fear that science is going to come and find out that something in the Bible is not true. Rather, it's the other way. Science comes to find out that, whoa, the Bible was true. There was a day when the overwhelming majority of people on the earth thought it was a flat earth. The Bible said no. It's the circuit of the earth. Well, science then came to the fact that, wow, the earth is circular. There was a day when medical professions believed that they didn't know what the purpose of the blood was. The Bible said the life of the flesh is in the blood. They would do bloodletting meaning cut people and drain blood to try to get rid of some of their bad blood. In so doing, they killed many people.
because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now we know. You go in, one of the first things they do to learn about you, they take blood samples, don't they? And they test those. Why? The life of the flesh is in the blood. Again, proof over and over again. Everything the Bible says is true. And we may not understand it, but that doesn't mean that it is not true. And when he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it does not mean that it contains the Word of God, that you need to sort through and find out what is true. Or it doesn't mean that it becomes the Word of God under certain conditions. It is the expression of the heart and the mind and the will of God. It is God's Word, and it is eternal. The Word of God endures forever. From the very beginning, before there was time, the Word of God was established. And when we end, the Word of God is eternal. Do you understand money and careers and home and families and possessions and pleasures and politics, none of them last forever. You may say amen on the politics, right? But God's Word does. You think of that. Your name will not last forever. Your possessions do not last forever. Nothing lasts forever, but God's Word does. Someone has said, and and we've repeated it before, security comes when you build your life around that which can never be taken away. That would be to build your life around the Word of God. And so Paul's writing to Timothy, and, and he says, I want you to preach the Word. And he reminds him, it is... It is God's Word. It is God-breathed. It is of God. Don't mess with it. And then he says, it is profitable, verse 16, and he lists four things. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. The Word of God will always be profitable in your life if you allow it to be. There are many things that I've done in life that weren't profitable, maybe monetarily or educationally or experience-wise. But the Word of God is always profitable. And and in, in Timothy, he reminded Timothy again, he said, bodily exercise has a little bit of profit to it. But he says, but godliness is profitable in all things. The Word of God is profitable, number one, for doctrine. To tell us what is right. To teach us about God, about the world that we live in. You know, sometimes people say, I don't care about doctrine. I just want to know how to live. You won't know how to live unless you know doctrine. And Paul manifested that in the majority of his books. The first parts of the books were doctrine, teaching us about God and his ways and about justification by faith and so on. Then he goes into the practical aspect of it. So 
you want to find out what you ought to believe, you have to go to the Word of God. It's profitable to teach us, causing us to understand God and His ways. It is also profitable for rebuke, for reproof, to show us what is not right. In other words, the Word of God, you sit down, read the Word of God, hear the Word of God, it will start bringing conviction in our life and saying, oh, this isn't right. Right there is where many people stop their relationship with the Bible. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. See, none of us like being told that we're wrong. I mean, our flesh naturally reacts to it. You still remember as a, as a little kid in school, you know, your teacher comes with a red pen, you know, and she looks at your paper, and the minute you start seeing that descend on your paper and she's checking something, it's like, you know. I've never liked red pens my whole life, you know what I mean? But the reality is... We need to know where we're wrong so that we can be right. And the Word of God comes and it reproves us. And it, it identifies that with us. And, and it brings conviction where we have deviated from the truth of God. But it doesn't just leave us there. It gives correction. It teaches us what is right. It shows us what is not right. And then it gives correction. It tells us how to get right. It brings restoration back to truth. That You went off the trail here. This is how you get back on. It gives correction. We've all been around people, and we've all probably done it, where we told someone or someone told us where we were wrong but they didn't tell us how to correct it. A good coach says, no, that isn't right, and this is how you correct it. And the Word of God reproves us, and it corrects us, and then he says, it is profitable for instruction in righteousness. Okay, it instructs us how to stay right. Guidance in the right way. Reproof, you, you went wrong here. This is how you correct it. This is how you stay right. Instruction in righteousness. Do you understand the Word of God instructs us how to grow spiritually? The Word of God will instruct us how to have genuine love, how to resist the devil. He will instruct us to overcome anger, how to understand God's ways, how to handle finances. All these things are in the Word of God. How to suffer victoriously, how to handle interpersonal problems, how to have the blessing of God, how to know the heart of God. If, if you want an abundant life, you cannot ignore the Word of God. And, and Paul 
is, is bringing back to Timothy. This is inspired of God. This is God breathed. It's God's word. It is profitable for you. And he gives the purpose in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. To, the purpose of God's word is to make us complete, mature Christians. So that, that we are not driven around with every wind of doctrine. So we're not baby Christians that always need attention and taken care of. So that we're strong, vibrant Christians. And it is to equip us for every good work. It is to empower me. It is to equip me to go out into this world and be the light that God's called us to be. So, if I neglect the Word, the reverse of that is, if I neglect the Word of God, if it is not a vital part of my life, I am not going to be a mature Christian. It doesn't matter how many years you've been a Christian. It matters how much you've grown in the Lord. And you can't grow and neglect the Word of God And I am not going to be filled with good works. See, the Bible is not just to tell us how to be saved. And I really fear many times that's it. It's very, very important. It tells us, it reproves us and tells us, well, let me back up. It teaches us God is holy. It reproves us and says We are sinners. We are separated from God. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We are separated from God. It gives us correction. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is how you correct it. Faith in Jesus Christ alone forgives sins. And so he tells us what we, he tells us about God, tells us what's wrong with us. We're sinners. We need forgiveness of sins. It is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ, accepting his death, burial, and resurrection for the payment of our sin. And we oftentimes limit the working of God's word to salvation, and it is. It's very, very important. It's the, the foundation of everything that we have. But he wants to keep using the word in our life to correct us. No, this is not right. This is where you can be, and this is how to walk and have a life that is honoring to God, that glorifies God. R.A. Tory said, you may talk about power, but if you neglect the one book that God has given you as the one instrument through which he imparts and exercises power, he said, you you won't have it. You can read many other books. You can go to conventions. You can have all-night prayer meetings. You can pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, but unless you keep constant and close association with the word of God, you will not have power. He went on and said, and if you ever had power, you will maintain it. You will not maintain it except by daily, earnest, intense study of the Bible. 
90, he said, 99 Christians in every 100 are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 Christians in every 100 are mere weaklings when they might be giants both in their Christian life and in their service. What's he saying? Everything comes back to your relationship with the Word of God. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying this is, this is to be the foundation of everything that you have. And, and it's easy. Most everyone here this morning would say, yeah, we believe the Bible is the Word of God. What's your relationship like with the Word of God? You know, we're, we're often prone to neglect it. And I just want to come to understand these truths that Paul is giving to Timothy are foundational on the Word of God. And just to make some application, from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul said to Timothy that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. A pillar is used to uphold, and a pillar is used to adorn. I mean, you go look at... at fancy buildings, they put pillars up, and, and, and if they're made to be seen, they adorn them, but they serve a purpose. They're holding up truth. He said, we are to be pillars and ground of truth. We are to hold up truth, and we are to make it attractive. That means you live the truth. So that, wow. They're following the Word of God, and look at they have joy in their life. That's, that's making it attractive. We don't need to make truth attractive. We need to let it make us attractive. But he said, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. The Word of God is truth. Okay? Pillar and ground of truth. We live in a day today that your truth is different than my truth and everybody's truth is different. No, the Word of God is truth, clear and simple. And it doesn't matter how society changes, these principles are unchangeable. So it, it, it is, it does us well to be diligent students of the Word of God. The Word is our only message. Preach the Word. It doesn't matter anything else because the Word is the only thing that matters. You don't preach what draws crowds. You don't preach what makes people laugh. You don't proclaim what um, the majority are for. You preach the Word. If the majority like it, wonderful. If they don't, it doesn't matter. And and that's the only message that we can have. The methods may change in the world that we live in, but the message does not change. The Word will be attacked and rejected. You notice we read in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Second Timothy, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers 
and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul is warning Timothy. There are going to be people that don't like hearing the truth. He says they want teachers that tell them what they want to hear. He says it doesn't matter. The word, the truth, will be attacked. It will be rejected. But he said it doesn't matter. You need to speak the truth. The word of God. And if you love God, you will love his word. William McPherson was the superintendent of a stone quarry when a blast severely injured him. He lost his eyesight and both hands in the explosion. But as a believer, he was committed to reading the Bible. And he learned to read raised letters with the tip of his tongue. It is said that he read through the Bible four times with the tip of his tongue. There was a man that was committed to the truth of God's Word. We think we don't have time. We think that we don't understand it or all kinds of others or I've already read it. I've had people say, I've already read through the Bible. When you have a heart for God, you want to know the mind of God. And in evidence that we are truly a child of God, there will be a hunger and thirst for righteousness. There will be a desire for the Word of God And if we love God, we will love His Word. Think about it. In your own life right now, your your current condition, what's been your attitude to the Word of God? You know, I believe we desperately need in our land, among believers, a revival of a love for God's Word. I mean, just just God's Word, that we desire it. And if you say, you know what, my love for God's Word is diminished, we need to come back and say, God, help me to see and renew in me a hunger and thirst for you, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection. We're all filled with all these distractions, and the one thing that it accomplishes, it keeps us from the Word of God. And if we don't read the Word, all the instruction he gave to Timothy, that's out the window. Realizing the Word of God, it's not, it's not just a, a good luck charm. George Foreman said, the, the boxer, he said, in 1974, when I went to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali, a friend of mine gave me a Bible to take on my trip. He said, George, take this. It will bring you good luck. He said, I, I believed the Bible. I believed it was the shepherd's handbook. But he said, I probably only knew one verse in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. 
But he said, I was always looking for something to bring me good luck. So I carried the Bible with me along with my lucky pennies and good luck charms. And so now I added my lucky Bible with all my other superstitious items. He said, after I lost that fight, I threw the Bible away. I never opened it again. I thought, the Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? I thought I'd get power from simply owning it, carrying it with me. I didn't realize that I needed to read it and believe what it says. He said, since that time, I have come to understand that the Bible is the basis for everything in my life. It is not a good luck charm. It is the mind of God. Too often times in our Christian lives, we know better than to call it a good luck charm. But it's just kind of there. I mean, to, to really go to the Word and, and desire it to minister in our lives, we need to examine ourselves. If we say we're a Christian and have no desire for the Word of God, something is drastically wrong. And it's easy for us to get filled with the with all the things of the world, so we don't have an appetite for the Word of God. Parents say to their kids, Can I have a cookie? No, we're going to be eating. And parents stretch it out. We're going to be eating in a half hour. Going to be eating in an hour. I remember as a kid thinking, Eating an hour? I could eat a dozen cookies and still be ready to eat in an hour. But why do we tell kids that? Because we don't want their appetite ruined. We're filling ourselves up with all this stuff, and we have no appetite for the Word of God. And he says, this is the only thing that's eternal. Internet, Facebook, Twitter, newspaper, television, news, None of it's eternal. This is eternal. And it will transform your lives. It will, it will make you mature. And it will equip you for every good work. Wow, isn't that what we desire? Isn't that what God wants in us? See, He wants to tell us we need Christ. But He wants the Word to continue to minister in our lives. Yes, We need Christ. We're sinners in need of forgiveness. But once we're saved, we need the Word of God. It is to be um, our heart's desire. It is to be what we long for. So, Paul writing to Timothy calls him back. And he says, never forget, this is God's Word. And I want you to preach the Word no matter what. If people like it, if they don't. And that speaks to every one of us, not as preachers, but to every one of us. The only thing that matters is the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bring a revival of your Word in the hearts and lives of every one of us here today. Lord, there may be some here today that have never never picked up your Word and read it. There may be some here today that can look back in their life and see a time when they, they really were into the Word, 
But now it's just a matter of, well, I better read my Bible today so things go well with me. Lord, I pray that you would revive our hearts to have a hunger and thirst for you. And then as a result that our lives would be mature and complete and equipped for every good work. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you're here today and you'd say, I am a believer. But God has challenged me today in my relationship to the Word of God. I wish you would remember me in prayer. Would you just slip up your hands that we could pray for you today? Amen. Amen. You're here today and you'd say, you know what? You mentioned about showing us where we're wrong, that we're sinners, that we need Christ's forgiveness I'm not sure I have Christ's forgiveness, but I wish you would remember me in prayer. Would you slip up your hands that we could pray for you today? I'm not sure I have Christ's forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I pray for these that your spirit has challenged regarding to their relationship with your word. Lord, I pray that they would come to know the joy of hearing from you. I pray that they would make the necessary changes in their schedule and and the priorities. And Lord, that they would have a, a heart that seeks you and your word above all else. And Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that we live in a land that we have access to your word. Lord, may it not be wasted, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We sometimes relegate some of the most foundational